the most effective thing that I would think about as an entrepreneur is not just the technology, but do you have an application that uh, is for which there's a need and for which the technology performs or will perform at a better than human level? Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, folks? Welcome to episode 88-0. Today, we're talking about independent investment banking in robotics, automation, and AI. We're going to be chatting with Ferdos Pohawala. Ferdos is the managing director at Cascadia Capital, where he leads investment banking coverage for, you guessed it, robotics, automation, and artificial intelligence, or if we're talking in acronyms, RAAI. So here are three things you can expect from today's episode. First, we'll get a quick overview of investment banking in this space and learn a bit about Ferdos and Cascadia Capital and why it makes sense to be investing in robotics and these other areas right now. Second, we'll talk tech. We take a deep dive into some of the trends and technologies Ferdos and Cascadia Capital are excited about right now, from robotics as a service to interoperability to software, but maybe most importantly, we'll talk about their tie-ins with end market applications. Finally, we talk about investing. Not only does Ferdos provide some great advice for entrepreneurs or folks looking to raise capital, but he also demystifies funding rounds, what investors look for, and the performance metrics that can make or break young companies. Definitely stick around for the end of this one. Now, this episode does have some helpful resources, so as always, you can look all of that up over at the show notes page. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 80, that's 8-0, to get taken directly to the show notes for this episode. Before we jump into the interview, I like using this opportunity for a quick plug, and this week we're going to be talking about the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community over on LinkedIn. I've mentioned it before, but if you want to be surrounded by a group of over 500 manufacturing leaders that are constantly engaging with one another, helping one another out in their careers, in their businesses, well, this is a group you want to be a part of. It's easy to join. Just go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community and request to join. I recommend shooting me a LinkedIn message as well so I know who you are. But again, that's manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community to join our official crew. And with that, let's dive into today's interview. It's time to meet up with Ferdos Pohawala. Good morning, Ferdos. And I know manufacturing happy hour fashion, we're drinking coffee right now. It's the morning as we're recording this. But we were having this conversation over a drink in your town of Seattle, where you live or elsewhere, where would that be? Describe the place. So one of my favorite spots here in Seattle, Chris, is a place called the Queen Anne Beer Hall. Uh, it's a German style beer hall, open bench seating, lots of large glasses and mugs of uh, good German style beer uh, and great uh, food to go along with that. So I know you're, uh, you're in Wisconsin and that probably speaks to your heart and soul. 
probably not as good as what you guys get out there, but it's a, a little bit of Wisconsin here. And uh, it's one of my favorite spots to have a drink with some friends and uh, sit around a table and relax. I, uh, I did a small work assignment out in Seattle. I mean, this was a decade ago, right? I did not get to that bar while I was there, but I do know Queen Anne is a great spot. So I'm sure that could be the foundation for a good night of bar hopping as well, starting there at the beer hall. Absolutely. There's, there's a lot of places we could go from there. Well, say we're hanging out there over some big leader beers, having a conversation, and, and and answer this as if we're having a drink at that beer hall, right? We talk to a lot of manufacturing and robotics companies on this show. We talk to a lot of VCs, but one thing I'm wondering is the role of investment banking in all of this, right? You know, describe it to me as if we're just starting from square one, like investment banking 101 and their role in this industry. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and I think that's a question we, we get a lot as we spend time uh, covering companies in the space. You know, banking generally has been thought about when you think about the larger capital markets, equity and debt. And, you know, that's that's something where we spend probably a little bit less time from a public markets perspective. But where we focus within the robotics, automation and AI industries, you know, the RA AI industries is, is primarily on, you know, early to mid stage capital raising. And then if and to the extent there is a larger liquidity event that founders and investors want for their companies, we can help with that as well. So as a, a bank that's focused on high growth, emerging growth companies in this space, we, we primarily get involved with that series A, B, C round. Um, we'll also help companies access public markets, and then we can also help in terms of uh, advising on, on SPACs, et cetera. So if you're a company in the robotic space and you're thinking about your options, um, that's where we would come in. And a lot of times what we do and what we love to do is meet companies as early as possible. So I hate to talk to companies when they're interested in doing something. I'd rather be talking to them, you know, a year, two years, three mm -hmm. years ahead of time, even when they're just getting founded. You know, that's the most exciting time for the founders who are starting the companies. But it's also the time where they need the most help, you know, thinking about what's the next step. How do I grow my business? How do I scale it? How do I think about engaging with investors? And, and so for us, you know, the earlier we can meet uh, companies, the, the better it is for us and the better it is uh, for those companies to make sure they stay on the right track and, and can get to the right spot. And, uh, you know, myself and the team that we have here are intensely passionate about the technology. And so every new introduction, every company that we meet is, uh, is a learning experience for us and uh, a chance for us to just be better at our jobs. There are a couple things in there that uh, we're going to be diving to later in this interview. You mentioned your focus on RAAI, Robotics, Automation, and Artificial Intelligence. So that's an acronym we'll we'll be mentioning throughout this conversation. Also, uh, you know how the A, B, C, D rounds that I think everyone hears about. Excited to demystify that a little bit. But before we go there, we want to get to know you a little bit, Ferdo. So you're at Cascadia Capital. I'm curious, how did you get into this space? You know, let's say it's a two-part question. How'd you get into the investment banking, the capital world, as well as the robotics and automation world? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great great question. Um, it's it's, uh, it's been a long journey. Uh, you know, the way I got interested in investment banking originally is I started my career as a uh, as a technology strategy consultant. So back in the um, uh, I'll date myself here, but back in the late 90s, when all of the telecom companies were spinning out into independence and developing wireless networks for data transmission, uh, I was kind of in the middle of all of that with all of the, the major players that have consolidated over time. And that really got me interested 
um, in finance and strategic planning and, and technology. And the one thing we always did in, in those assignments for those companies was look at the impacts on cash flow and the, the public market impacts. And that's what got me in investment banking. And so I went to business school and then after business school started my career in uh, investment banking. Um, and when I came out of school was right at the end of 01, uh, you know, middle of 02. We all know what was happening back then. And so I actually started my career focused on um, debt restructuring just to get uh, my feet wet and, and try and understand that side of the capital markets. And then as the markets came back, um, I spent time really focusing on my prior technology background, uh, but then also um, the intersection of that with industrials and logistics and that whole idea of industrial technology became very exciting to me. So I spent about 20 years working on, on Wall Street, uh, you know, quote unquote, Wall Street, Belch Bracket Banks, Merrill Lynch, uh, Barclays, other firms. And then uh, I'm originally from the Pacific Northwest and our CEO, Michael Butler, uh, he used to run capital markets at Morgan Stanley and gave me a call and said, you know, would you be interested in coming back? We're, we're focused on developing a practice that's really centered around industrial technology and the long-term view was around the robotics automation and AI space. And that dovetailed really well with my past experience. And it was a chance to also come home uh, with, a, with a, a young child and, a, and another one in tow. Um, we're looking for an excuse to get out of New York City and, and uh, build our lives back here. So um, I had to convince my wife, but we made the, the journey um, out here and started this up about four or five years ago. And, um, you know, it might be helpful for people just to know a little bit about Cascadia um, because it's, it's an emerging name. But, you know, briefly, we're one of the largest independent investment banks in the country based here in Seattle next to a you know, small seller of books online. Um, we've got offices in L.A., Minneapolis, New York and Nashville. And, um, you know, we really focus on entrepreneurs and uh, we, we call ourselves an independent investment bank because we don't have any sales and trading. We don't have any research. We focus entirely on founders and entrepreneurs, and we don't treat the larger acquirers of those companies as our clients. Our clients are really, um, I think, you know, a lot of people in your audience and, and in the robotics community um, at, a, at a fundamental foundational level. And so that's where we spend all of our time. And we've had a vision around RAAI for a long time. And, you know, mm -hmm. last year we decided to crystallize and develop a team that was focused on this tech. Um, we understand the technology at a fundamental level. We've all done transactions in that space and, you know, drones, robotics, computer vision, et cetera, mm -hmm. but really market, you know, really combine that with our end market expertise. And that's where we think value exists, right? It's not just an understanding tech for tech's sake. People can get excited about that, but if there isn't an application that's valuable to the market, uh, then it's just an idea. And I think where we can add the most value is combining our end market expertise with our understanding of the tech. And, and I think that makes us credible counterparties sitting across from investors and 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 uh, and other actors. So really excited about the space. The firm has made a big bet on it. You know, we just launched our own SPAC. Um, mm -hmm. So we've IPO'd in SPAC um, that's trading publicly, Cascadia Acquisition Corp, and we're actively looking for targets. We think all of these technologies are underscoring and will underscore everything we do um, and every industry we cover, much the way the, the Internet transformed the way we live, you know, in the early 2000s. And so it's an exciting time to be in this space and focused on it. Well, Cascadia, I'm excited that you brought them up for a couple of reasons, right? One, it sounds like it was kind of the perfect marriage of a lot of your different experiences coming together where you are now. You got the banking background, you've got the technology background. And my big question that you started getting into this a little bit, but of all the spots Cascadia could double down on, right? I think a, a why that a lot of people or something a lot of people are wondering, wondering is, you know, you're out there on the West Coast, right? When we, when we think about West Coast investment, uh, you know, as a stereotype, I think we think, oh, you know, software, et cetera, right? 
we're right. seeing a lot of activity in industrials like you, you talk about the tie-in to end markets and uh, investing in these robotics companies why double down on this area versus all the other options you could have had yeah that's a that's a great question and you know the firm does cover you know software technology and all those you know other areas right so you know we, we do have that broad brush but the reason we focus the firm or at least focus a large effort on the firm on robotics, automation, and AI is we just fundamentally believe that this is going to be the future, you know, where all of the end markets are going to be going, right? So you're mm -hmm. seeing, we have a significant ag practice right now, and you're seeing a massive upswing in ag tech, right? That's mm -hmm. one of the hottest spaces um, within robotics that, you know, those of us that focus on manufacturing and supply chain don't spend a lot of time thinking about, but if you actually go out into the ag tech world, um, there's whole conferences dedicated to the topic. There's a massive labor shortage and the the scale of the problem is significant and the solutions are short term deployable. And and the technology here today can actually you know very effectively get out you know, literally into the field and, and start solving problems. So when we think about those end markets and where the changes can come, robotics are really underscoring all of that. <clears throat> and then when we think about robotics, right, um, there's a there's a natural you know, mechatronic, I guess, limit to what things can do physically, right? We'll get to, it's sort of like your cell phone. It's reached a point where it does everything from a form factor perspective and all the differences are now going to be software driven. So as we think about robotics, we're also really thinking about the underlying software, not just on a company by company basis, but also what are those sort of platform software um, offerings and, and potential that are out there that we should be spending time around that are specifically uh, robotics focused. So if we think about orchestration of different fleets of AMRs in a, in a warehouse environment, mm -hmm. uh, things like that, right? That software layer is part of the, the robotics thesis, right? And then when you blend in the AI, right? Now all of a sudden you've got the ability for things to deploy and work, you know, fully autonomously and um, intelligently, you know, and getting better over time. So that whole thesis we think is, is critical. We think we're just at the cusp of that. So we're, you know, probably early from some people's perspective, certainly from a market perspective, mm -hmm. but from a technology and a, and a, and a growth perspective, uh, we think we're, we're right where we need to be uh, in terms of timing. And so that's why we've doubled down on all of this. Plus it's, it's stuff that, you know, we, myself and our CEO <clears throat> have, a, have a personal passion around. So that always helps. Sure. And and I like that you bring up, you know, there the software tie-ins as well. We've had companies like uh, Eric Nieves from uh, Plus One Robotics, sure. right? So uh, a lot of the things you're talking about tie into a number of our past guests, especially recently. There's been a big logistics and robotics focus on the show, I'll just say for like the past quarter or so. And, and no surprise, it's a, a rising area. Yeah. So let's dive into that a little bit more. You know, um, what areas um, are, are you are most exciting? To, in RAAI right now, you started touching on them a little bit, but yeah. you know, I'd love to maybe dive a bit more into that the logistics side of things and like the autonomy side of things. Yeah, absolutely. So, a um, couple of couple of things there, right? Um, the, the broad sectors where we think there's a lot of excitement and short-term potential uh, will be what we talked about: ag tech, um, healthcare tech. I think there's a surprising amount of uh, AI mm -hmm. around practice management and, and diagnostic tools, but also in surgery. So robotic surgery, mm. uh, imaging, AI diagnostics around imaging are all really, really interesting um, and on the come. And then where I think a lot of us in the in the kind of more pure robotic space spend time are, are, are logistics and supply chain tech, yeah. and then also the idea of autonomy, right? Mm -hmm. And if we break those things down further, right, when I think about supply chain, 
we think about it in three parts, right? There's the management of all of the inputs, right? The supply chain of actually creating goods, right? That's one section. Mm -hmm. And then there's what we think about as more traditional supply chain. And I break that down into two buckets. One is inside the four walls, so warehouse environments, and then outside the four walls. So the actual delivery of goods, you know, either B2B or, you know, into your home. And so that's mm -hmm. how we think about, about the supply chain. And then the, the not quite, but almost one-to-one -one overlap is the idea of autonomy, right? And people are all focused and the market's very focused on level four, level five autonomy, you know, autonomous trucks, autonomous vehicles, and, and that's coming. Uh, there's some technical challenges and it'll take some time, but it's coming. But our short-term autonomy, autonomy thesis is within the structured autonomy environments, right? Mm -hmm. So what I just talked about was unstructured, right? Out on the road, out yep. in the world. But there are structured autonomy environments where we think there will be shorter term uptake, um, immediate need, and, and more easily deployed effective solutions. So again, I'm thinking about ag tech, right? Whether you're picking up rocks from farms or, or pruning crops, I'm thinking about mining and construction, um, where you've got autonomous you know, bulldozers and, and drilling and mining. Um, so those are sort of ideas. And then of course, within the warehouse, right? AMR is operating within a four wall environment and, and being orchestrated. So those are the big buckets of, of areas where I spend a lot of time. And I, I used to extensively cover transportation and logistics when I was at, at, at Barclays. And so have covered, you know, all the forms of transportation, all the different, um, you know, variations of that. And then as we think about technologies that applies to logistics, there, there's obviously the focus around AMRs and around mm -hmm. you know, bin picking and, and how do you deal with all of that within a four wall environment. But outside the four wall environment, you know, one of the biggest problems we're having right now is trucking, right? You yeah. Know, capacity, right? And that capacity is, is largely driven by um, driver shortage, right? So mm -hmm. what is the software that you can deploy in the field that enhances the driver experience, right? And how do you automate that? And how do you engage with humans to make that a more effective um, process, whether that's route optimization into the home, whether it's driver workflow management, where they mm -hmm. have control through onboard, you know, um, tablets to, to manage routes, uh, et cetera. And then frankly, capacity utilization, right? Like how do you determine which routes to take on? How are they most productive? How do you optimize, you know, loads and backhauls, et cetera. So the whole idea of, of logistics as a chain underscores everything that we do and yeah. we take a holistic approach, right? We don't just focus on one or the other. We focus on the entire supply chain and then the various pieces within it. So uh, one one thing for the audience out there, um, talking about structured and unstructured and the different levels of autonomy, uh, we had an interview with Dexterity's Samir Menon not too long ago. So if you want to take a deep dive into that topic, head back to those ep that, that episode, right? It's probably, oh, I don't know, five to 10 episodes ago back in the catalog. But, but going off of what you're saying, I've got a couple more, let's say, tech and industry questions for you. Then I want to start moving over to the investment sure. banking side. But one, uh, you know, a couple of things that, that jump out in the work you're doing as I was researching for this is this concept of ROS, robotics as a service, right? I'd love to get your thoughts on some other things that are coming in this industry, whether it's robotics as a service specifically or what you think like the next, you know, 12 to 18 months look like. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Um you know, one of the things that people are thinking about is how do we more effectively deploy our solutions into the market, right? Mm -hmm. and, and what's the fastest way to do that? 
that also enhances value for us as a as an enterprise. Mm-hmm. And and I think the the easy place or or the logical place rather to go is the um, as a service model. And we've mm-hmm. all heard of SaaS as mm-hmm. software as a service. Um, and now people are expanding that to, to RAS, robotics as a service, or you know, MAS, machines as a service. And then there's some derivations on that where you know you think about different ways to capture value from the benefits that you're creating, and that's that's the idea of, of vast value as a service, which is mm-hmm. you know on the come and and I think sort of developing over time. But the RAS idea, very simply for for the audience, and most people are probably familiar with this, is you don't pay for the equipment, uh, you rent it, right? And, and why that's particularly appealing is if you think about the, and certainly in logistics, the warehouse footprint in the U.S., 90 plus percent of that is brownfield, meaning it's mm-hmm. an existing structure that's being run by a small to medium logistics company or, or you know, e-commerce company. Um, and you can't just go out and build an end-to-end fully functional automation system to, to automate all your workflow. You have to pick point solutions, right, to solve specific problems, <clears throat> whether that's bin picking, goods to people, managing the induct into a, a particular, um, you know, pick line, etc. right? You, you've got to come up with a solution that fits your most pressing need. And, and the simplest way to do that is to is to develop and, and deploy, um, you know, robots or, or technology solutions that can be dropped into those pain points and rented. It's mm-hmm. cheaper um, for the customer, right? Because and it's an all-encompassing service, right? So all of the mm-hmm. updates, all of the maintenance, all of the repair, all of the integration, all taken care of out of one payment. And for the uh, technology providers, the robotics company, it's a very easy way to get um, products out into the market uh, more quickly mm-hmm. um, and, and more efficiently. The market loves it because it's a recurring uh, stream of revenue and it's yeah. sticky. Once it's there, the odds of you, you know, moving to something else, as long as the solution is working, is, is low as a customer. You know, you're not going to move something. Uh, you're not going to you're not going to find a different solution if what you have is working. So once you're in place, the RAS model um, is very attractive um, to investors and typically gets a several you know multiple pop in terms of value um, as opposed to guys that are just selling um, capex, right? Just selling an entire uh, slug of equipment at once. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so we think that model is interesting. You know, where it gets a little bit harder is where you've got really large purchasers of automation solutions. So think about, you know, the Walmart and the FedExes of the world. Those organizations were historically set up to buy things, right, not rent mm-hmm. them. But mm-hmm. they're rolling automation into their environments and they're doing that on both a whole, wholesale and a piecemeal basis. They're starting to see the benefits of RAS and are creating hybrid purchasing models and accounting systems to to deal with that. So you'll see more and more of that happening in the in the market over time. But RAS is an absolute sort of winning strategy, assuming you can make it work. Is it going at the pace you'd expect or is it like, tell me a bit about what what you're seeing with it right now? Because we've talked about machine as a service on the show before, you know, any equipment as a service. There are a lot of synonyms for this, right? Yeah. Is it yeah. is it going at the pace you'd expect? Is it slow? Is the adoption rate lower? I'm just curious on your candid perceptions around it so far. Yeah, that's that is a great question, right? Because we just spent the last two minutes talking about how wonderful Raz is, right? Yeah. You'd expect. You know, you'd expect to be razzing everything. Um, the reality is it's not going as fast as, as people would expect it because yeah. there are some practical challenges. <clears throat> and there's two practical challenges from my standpoint. One is a lot of the solutions that are being offered are hybrid solutions, meaning mm-hmm. um, a lot of people are creating perception stacks and, and neural nets that can be, you know, platform agnostic for, for robots, right? So you mm-hmm. can take your perception stack and, and map it to kind of any any six axis robot with, you know, maybe customized end of arm tooling and, and that's your robot. 
the mm -hmm. developers of those perception, uh, you know, models and, and stacks are not actually developing and, and building the hardware. And so what they don't want to do is get stuck into an integration game where they're combining their own software with hardware and then selling that as, as a RAS offering because they don't want to service the hardware component of it. Mm -hmm. So that's one sort of business model obstacle where a lot of companies that have good solutions, you know, can't actually offer a pure RAS product to their customers, you know, mm -hmm. out of the box. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you're thinking about RAS and you're thinking about what's attractive, one of the things to think about as an investor or if you as you're thinking about a business model is, do I have a fully integrated solution that I can give to a customer and then rent to them? Right. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to the second challenge is you are renting something to your customer. Mm -hmm. And that means you have to own it. Right. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will look at a lease and call it RAS. I just call that, you know, sexy leasing. Right. Just rebranded, you know, leasing where there's a third party or another entity that's, you know, owning the equipment on your behalf and then leasing it out to um, out to the customer. Mm -hmm. RAS really involves, you know, owning that asset, you know, for the most part and then renting it directly. And then the challenge there is that as a newer company that's trying to build out a RAS, you need a capital base to actually buy that equipment that you can then rent out to the customer. So for an mm -hmm. early stage company, having that capital up front to deploy RAS is, is actually challenging, right? Because mm -hmm. you've probably got other uses um, for that for that capital, product development, business development, et cetera. So that's where you see some of the, the scale tension um, around RAS. There are a couple of companies that have done really well in the market recently. You can look at Locus, you can look at um, Rapid Robotics, um, some mm -hmm. others um, that have developed models that have full software, hardware integration, and can actually put the product out in the market as a RAS offering. And I think those are the companies that you'll start seeing have, you know, very attractive, you know, valuations as they continue to mature, among others. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. Are you looking for the biggest events in the automation industry? If you are, you're going to want to hear about today's sponsor, A3, the Association for Advancing Automation. A3 is the leading global automation trade association of the robotics, machine vision, motion control, and AI industries. They also throw some of the best events in the automation and manufacturing space. And for me, they're the source of some of the best connections I've made in the manufacturing industry. You might not realize this, but throughout the years, we've featured over 10 different A3 partners on this podcast. Now, whether we're talking about their annual business form or their marquee event, the Automate Show, A3's events are the spot for building partnerships, exploring new technologies, and getting a pulse on the industry. If you're listening to this episode before June 2022, make sure to check out Automate 2022 taking place in Detroit, Michigan, June 6th through 9th. I, for one, will definitely be there. Head to automateshow.com for more information and to register for free today. And you can always learn what A3 has going on by visiting automate.org. And now, back to today's episode. So last technology question before we switch gears a little bit, and this one's more open-ended, right? You know, we just took a deep dive into Raz, um, but... What else, what's something you wish we would have talked about from a technology standpoint or one other thing that Cascadia Capital is really excited about right now that we should be paying attention to? Yeah, um, good question. So, you know, I spend a lot of my time in, in, in supply chain technology and, and there's two things that I'm very excited about. Both are, are software oriented. Within the four wall environment, I'm, I'm very excited about, you know, emerging um, interoperability standards um, for AMRs. And, and what that really means is 
you're going to have, and this gets back to my point solution brownfield thesis that, that I've been talking about to others, you're going to have technology solutions from different providers operating within your warehouse. There's no way around that because not everybody is doing everything. At some point down the road in, in a utopian future, you'll have a end-to-end, -end, you know, fully automated warehouse that with software that's upstream integrated, downstream integrated, midstream integrated, and you don't have to do anything except make sure there's power to the building. We're not there yet. Um, and so what I'm excited about is the ability for these fleets of robots to talk to each other through, you know, an appropriate standard of interoperability. And then the next layer down is how do you orchestrate and control all the interactions of those robots within a warehouse environment? And how do you plug that in upstream to your, your warehouse management system, your WMS, that's capturing all the orders and, and, and giving all the order fulfillment instructions orchestrating all of that. Orchestration is mm -hmm. a big word now in the AMR space, <clears throat> and then plugging that into downstream integration with your shippers. And so that sort of software, you know, interchange is, is on the come. There's various iterations of it. Some people will market that that's in place. I would, I would argue it's a little bit more fragmented, but the ability to control all of those different fleets of robots, integrate those with the picking, have some sort of effective pack out solution, that's where I get um, excited and very focused because if someone can come up with something that's relatively, you know, like the Mac OS or the windows of that, then all of a sudden you've got something that can really help accelerate the uptake of, of automation within a warehouse environment. So that's one thing where we're really, really focused um, from a software perspective. And then the other is outside the four walls, um, anything dealing with driver engagement, anything mm -hmm. dealing um, um, you know, capacity utilization. There's a lot of software out now that's then in, in platforms that are focused on that. And, and there's uh, various themes on that. Um, I think that's another really attractive space um, within logistics that, that people are, are spending a lot of time on. And I think is really at the crux of, of our supply chain problem today. So those are two areas that, that, you know, we're very focused on at Cascadia. So, Let's let's head back to uh, the Queen Anne beer hall for a second okay. here. We're in we're in the bottom we're in the bottom half of our mugs. We're probably going to need to go yeah. back for round two soon. For but sure. another another base level question, right? Because I'm thinking about this from the perspective of let's say a young company that is looking to raise capital, right? You know what should what should what would be helpful advice for young companies that are trying to raise capital that you'd have for them? Because um, I I think that would be a great starting point. And certainly something I would talk about over a beer. Yeah, and and that 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 is a that is a uh, that is a very involved question. So let's let's break that down initially. I'd say the most important thing, right, and this is emotional, is make sure that you have real passion and conviction around the idea. Okay. And so that's that's kind of entrepreneurship one hundred and one. Sure. But where I'm going with that is is a more uh, structured comment now, which is. Don't fall into the trap of falling into love with technology for the sake of technology, right? And that was one of the first things I brought up at the start of this um, of this conversation with you is that that can end up seducing you into wrong directions, right? The most effective thing that I would think about as an entrepreneur is not just the technology, but do you have an application mm -hmm. that uh, is for which there's a need and for yeah. which the technology performs? or will perform at a better than human level. So that's mm -hmm. that's 101, right? Mm -hmm. If you can't match it with an end market application where there's a need, existing pain, and in a potential uh, significant, you know, TAM, total addressable market, yeah. uh, don't start. Because mm -hmm. I think you're going to end up you know, very frustrated. So mm -hmm. let's assume you get all of that put into place. Then the yeah. next thing is is raising capital, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so um, from a capital raise standpoint, 
there's non-institutional and then there's institutional capital. Non-institutional means money that, you know, you collect from friends and family or your seed round, you know, your mm -hmm. pre-seed money gets it mm -hmm. off the ground, gets you into a space, gets the idea up and running. But once you have something that makes, looks like it might work and is in the test and trial phase, then you start moving into those ideas of series kind of A, B, C, et cetera, and you start thinking, you know, longer mm -hmm. term. But the most important thing is, do you have a solution and is there a business model? behind that yeah. solution that makes sense. And, and I will tell everybody that's talking to me today, you've got to find a way to make RAS or as a service part of that model, because mm -hmm. that's just the direction the whole market's going and you're seeing significant premiums for businesses that can yeah. actually deploy. Yep, great advice. I, I'd love to maybe dive into the series A, B, C, D rounds a little bit too, because we hear, we hear it all the time, right? You know, on especially on this show, right? You'll We'll be talking to a new company that just landed a big Series B round, right? But, you know, I think at least in even in my own perspectives, my knowledge of this, it's like, you know, these are just the different rounds depending on how long you've been a company, right? And how much sure. investment yeah. you need. But are there certain things that break down the differences in these rounds or maybe more importantly, how people should be thinking about what to do in each of these rounds, right? Yeah, that, yep. That's a great, great question. And and, you know, the first answer, which which probably won't satisfy the audience, is that there's a lot of variability around all of that. Sure. And, and then the second answer is that the lines are blurring, right? So we have a little bit of alphabet soup now between, you know, A, B, C, and then if you get to D and, and, and beyond. Meaning sizes, amounts, and uses are starting to become a little bit more fluid and, mm -hmm. and are really just a function of, of pace of growth and, and market opportunity and, and success, right? Um, but, you know, if we were to create some general guidelines, what I would say is after you get out of your seed and, and angel phase and you're looking for A, the most important thing you have is is something that, you know, looks and smells like a minimum viable product, right? An, an MVP. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It really means you've got something, you've had some trials, you know they work, um, and now you're ready to sort of get into more advanced deployment with the customer or a few customers to really prove um, the commercial viability in an operating environment. And so mm -hmm. when you're at that phase and you've got a pipeline and a backlog um, or potential backlog, that's series A, right? Yep. In my mind, mm -hmm. once you've got that established and it's working and you've started developing a pipeline and you're out in the market talking to people about it and you start seeing the potential for backlog and really what you need is to just continue business development, continue product development and really get things out there in force. That's where I think you, you should start thinking about raising your B round. Mm -hmm. And the B round is critical, right? If I think yep. about all the rounds out there, the B round is the round where you really make or break your company, right? Because you've built your product, you've proven that it works, you have a couple of pilots or, or customer contracts out there that are working well, and now you're looking to demonstrate scale, right? Uh, you're looking to demonstrate to your investors and, and to the market that you have a scalable solution with a business model that works. And, and so that's how I think about a B round. And when I think about, you know, dollar amounts for those rounds, right? Sizes are getting bigger. You know, I'd say if you're looking at an A round, you're looking anywhere from, you know, seven to $15 million, you mm -hmm. know, on average that robotics companies have higher size rounds, maybe sure. because of the capital component mm -hmm. or the, the physical component. Uh, and then as you're looking at a B round, you're looking at, you know, anywhere from sort of 15 to, to 40, again, depending on the size yeah. and uh, what you're trying to do. And then the valuations will will start to vary, of course, based on you know what your end market and your application is. The other important thing about the B round is you have to really demonstrate backlog, right? And what I mean by backlog, and, and I think people get confused between pipeline, backlog, et cetera. Mm. Pipeline is the universe 
of, of, of customers that you're talking to, right? So I'm talking yeah. to, you know, A through, A through, you know, H. Yeah. Backlog are those companies that have actually provided you with a, a purchase order sure. um, that you're seeking to fulfill that will convert into revenue. Wow. And the winners and losers in this market today are being determined by backlog, right? Because you have mm. so many solutions now that are trying to solve the same problem, right? That the way investors are starting to differentiate is, well, where's your revenue? Right. You mm -hmm. could have a great idea. It could solve a great problem. There's probably two other, three other, four other guys out there doing it. And what they're looking to see, and you're all talking to the same customers, right? So what they're looking to see is who's actually getting the uptick. And for the investment community, especially as you go from A to B round, mm -hmm. that is probably the single most important determinative factor in, in the success of your round um, is, is the backlog um, and then the pipeline. Um, but if guys don't have backlog and, and a healthy pipeline, that and pipeline is not just I know company A exists, but I'm in dialogue around you know yeah. a potential order, uh, mm -hmm. you're not going to have a lot of success from from my perspective. Um, so that's kind of A to B round, and then as you get to C round, C rounds a lot of times where the where the the kind of the last step for a bigger monetization event for the company, depending okay. on how it's scaling. B round mm -hmm. is really taking all of the success of the B round. And now you're really scaling into different markets. You've got adjacencies to the product that you've been developing from a roadmap perspective. You've got infrastructure that you want to you want to bring in, and you're really becoming company in full, you know, if yeah. you will, um, through the C round. And then after that, it, it really just becomes a function of what is your long term or medium term mm -hmm. plan? Are you thinking about an IPO? Are you thinking about a SPAC? Are you thinking about a sale? Is there an acquisition strategy to help you know build out uh, your your roadmap and your product mm -hmm. offering? The D round is is sort of a an open bag of, of where you where you could possibly go. You haven't seen in the robotic space a lot of companies past the B round right now because the space is still nascent and the solutions are still being developed. You have a couple of examples of guys that have gone into kind of C and then you know gone SPAC or or what have you. Um, but uh, I'd say the the state of the market right now of most of the companies that I'm talking to are in that kind of A B stage. Ferdos, I'm not just saying this because we've finished a theoretical leader beer throughout the course of this conversation, but on, honestly, that was one of the most helpful five minutes I've experienced on this podcast recently, just oh, hearing okay. how that's broken down, right? You know, like yeah. understanding that, hey, B round is where you make or break your company. Talking about the difference between backlog versus pipeline as a lifelong sales guy, that makes a ton of sense to me. Just demystifying that for, for everyone out there because it's... I've, we've talked to a lot of people that are cutting edge robotics companies, new robotics companies that have received these rounds. We've talked to venture capitalists that are providing these rounds, but I think that provides a lot of color for the audience out there on a topic that, hey, it's it's something that we hear about in the manufacturing world, the industrial world, but we don't always get the clarity behind, uh, you know, how do these different yeah. rounds work and what do you look for? So I really appreciate the breakdown on that. You know, we're getting to the end of the conversation. Is there anything you wish we would have talked about, whether it's from the investment banking standpoint, the technology standpoint, anything else that's still on your mind? Uh, I would say the one thing I, I'd want to say is uh, this market is on the verge of uh, explosion, right? We, mm -hmm. we think about that classic, you know, I hate to use the word hockey stick and J curve. We, we mm -hmm. hear those things all the time. But if you look at the development of the technology and you now see the sophistication of the software that's complementing all of the you know, earlier stage solutions that have been coming out, the market is really poised for significant growth. 
-hmm. And the important thing about that growth is these solutions are needed. So regardless of market condition, right, regardless mm -hmm. of what happens in our world, you know, barring something horrible, right, there, there's going to be an enduring need for what people are developing today. And, and so my, my thought for the entrepreneur who's thinking about ideas is go for it because this segment of the economy will be the fastest growing and, and, and most significant, I think, over the next you know, 15 to 20 years. And, and I've bet my career on it um, and, and because I have a fundamental faith and, and passion mm -hmm. around where I think all of this is going. And if I'm an entrepreneur, I would you know, want you to know that you're on the right track and you should explore the opportunity. And if it doesn't work, it's OK, because there's going to be plenty of others um, out there as this just becomes part and parcel of what we're doing. And then the other thing I would just say is if you're you know, in the workforce today and you're thinking about robotics, the one thing I'd want you to think about is don't view that as a, a threat. Right. Because what I really think about it is, is an opportunity for you as an individual to um, up level your skill set. You know, whether you, you know, are a college graduate or, or otherwise you're, you're working in the, in the field environment, the opportunity to understand and engage with robotics on a fundamental level will make you that much more valuable um, in the workforce. And so as I think about really the foundational aspects of why robotics is coming and, and you know, where we think all of this is going, it's entrepreneurs with passion and great ideas. And it's, it's all of us in the workforce that are understanding how to work with and, and integrate with the technology. And, you know, I'd want your listeners to sort of just understand that as opportunity and, and really grasp it, you know, when it comes. Ferdos, where's the best spot to connect with you and Cascadia Capital? Uh, you can go to our website. Um, all of our content is, is there, www.cascadiacapital.com. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, and I would love to hear from anybody that's interested in the space, wants to learn more or just kick ideas around. Again, this is as much a passion as it is a profession. And I love meeting other, other folks that, that share that. Well, for those of you listening, we'll have all of these links and more over in the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com. And in the meantime, for Dose, I just want to uh, thank you for jumping on today's show. Thanks for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it. It's been fun today. Cheers. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. And a big thanks to Ferdos and Cascadia Capital for making today's show happen. I mentioned it before. There are a lot of resources that you might want to look up from this episode. So head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 80. That's 80 to look all of that up. We'll have some of the helpful materials from Cascadia on robotics, automation, and AI. And, of course, a link to Seattle's Queen Anne Beer Hall. Before we wrap up, I do want to give a shout out to A3, the Association for Advancing Automation, that not only has been supporting this show, but also, quite frankly, they're the reason that I met for Dose at their AMRs and Logistics Conference back in October 2021. They've helped create a lot of the relationships that have resulted in podcast episodes. We talked about Samir Menon from Dexterity back in episode 74, Eric Nieves back in episode 78. These are all people that I've met through A3. So, so if you want to network and connect with amazing individuals like the ones that have been on this show, definitely look at attending their Automate show in Detroit in June 2022. It's going to be June 6th through 9th. Or if you listen to this after the fact, they're always throwing great events where you can connect with folks like this. Just go to automate.org to learn more.
Thank you, A3, for supporting Manufacturing Happy Hour. And speaking of community, again, I mentioned this earlier in the episode, but if you want to join a digital group, you can go to manufacturinghappyhour.com community to get taken to our LinkedIn group to connect with over 500 manufacturing leaders. Always helping out one another to advance in their careers and their businesses or just learn more about automation, technology, etc. Again, go there, manufacturinghappyhour.com community to get taken straight to our LinkedIn group. And that was a lot of announcements to wrap up the interview. So I think it's time to call it a week. Stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again back here next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.